Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. You may or may not remember seeing J. Keith Van Stratton in roles on Curb Your Enthusiasm, Gilmore Girls, Beverly Hills 90210, and as for McDonald's, Nike, Pizza Hut, Cheez-It, and many more. But if you did, then you're just the sort of trivia expert who would have loved watching Van Stratton host Comedy Central's TV game show Beat the Geeks. He currently contributes to an NPR game show, Ask Me Another, while hosting his own comedy game show podcast, Go Fact Yourself. We just got the facts from Van Stratton this summer, so let's get to it! Well, Jay Keith, uh, I think the the key to being a uh, game show host is being uncomfortable, isn't it? Uh, in some ways, in, in the way that you can't let yourself get so comfortable that you're not responding to what's actually happening in front of you. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, my experience uh, hosting, it, I, uh, the best moments are always from some degree of preparation, of course, but then also being willing to let go of that preparation and just respond to, you know, whatever's happening in the moment. So uh, I think if you're uncomfortable in terms of, you know, uh, you're, you're thinking too much, or uh, or you're uncomfortable in terms of you know you're physically uncomfortable. Anything that anything that inhibits your listening is probably not not so great. But definitely, you don't want to be the opposite. You don't want to be so settled or so rigid that if something great happens, that you're not willing to go down that road. Sure, opportunity, and that's actually one of the great things about podcasts compared to other other medium media is that um, you have time to do that. You know, for for the most part, you know you can. Some a uh, guest can mention some topic or something I didn't know about, and just say, "What is that about?" <laughs> like I, 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 we just had, um, who was I think it was Andrew Savage was on a recent episode. I think it was her. No, no, no. So it was Edie Patterson was on a recent episode. Okay. And I asked her about a, a fight scene that she had had on Vice Principals, and for some reason the way I had phrased it, you know, I hadn't written it down exactly, and my note just said fight scene, blah blah blah, and. And and so she so I said like oh no you had a big fight scene she's like well in your like in on the show or in real life and I was like well I don't, have you had a fight scene have you had a fight in real life like I'd love to find out about that so you know being open to that kind of spontaneity is fun and then you go you go on a story or you know I figured there was something else that there was something else that happened that I that with like that with Fred Willard where um, uh, I don't remember if if it's like why did you. I, I, I'm not remembering it now. You can cut in the clip if you want. But there was something also that was like some random question. Cut in the clip. Came. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I remember just like it was yesterday. Exactly. Uh, well, you know, yeah, it's actually really about listening. Mm-hmm. So if you're too comfortable, you'll just go through the motions and and somebody will say something great and you'll go, oh, Right. When you're listening back, you go, "Oh, I wish, I wish yeah. I had asked that question." Yeah. And there's always an element of that, anyway. You know, you can't you can't do everything perfectly, but you know. So, and then there's just some nights where you just, I still don't understand it. I've been doing this for a long time. Where some nights you just see the ball well. You know, sometimes it's just a big fat meatball down down the plate, and you you know, and you can hit it out. And other times, yeah, other times you you miss. So, you know, being able to let that go is also a huge help because I can what, tend to obsess what, about this. And what that. was the first game show that you fell in love with? Oh, uh, probably The Price Is Right. Uh, as a kid, I mean, how do you not love The Price Is Right? As a kid, it's got everything. Just like, just as a show, you know. I mean, there's there's beautiful ladies in sparkly dresses. Bob mm-hmm. Barker is such a friendly guy and a host. And the, you know, it starts with uh, panning across an audience and people just going bananas, and people from all different kind of walks and walks of life and looks and types. I mean, I don't know, remember it was like in the in the in the old days, but from when I was watching it in the '70s and beyond, like it's a really diverse crowd. Yes, and. Uh, 
and you know, <laughs> and, and a boon and a boon for the t-shirt. Yes, industry. yes, for the custom iron-on t-shirt industry. Uh, and um, but yeah, you know, you 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 saw people who were in the military. You saw people who were unemployed. You saw people who were housewives. You saw people who were grandpas. You saw people who were students. And the one thing that united them, well, you could say greed or capitalism, but also you know, Bob Barker in a game. I mean, it was you know, it was really fun. Um, my, uh, I, I've been to the, I've been in the audience of, of the Price is Right a couple times, okay. and, and once with Bob Barker and once with Drew Carey, and all respect to Drew Carey, that people still you know love him now, but like I, I've never been in a room with that much energy when Bob Barker uh, really when, when Bob Barker was. I mean, it was like a, a church revival mixed with like winning the Super Bowl, and that was before anything happened. Like people are so, I mean, people plan their vacations, people save up for a vacation to go do go to the show, which for me is like literally across the street from where I live. Like for me, I just kind of walked over and was on a list. These people were camping out the night before. So and then, wait, so it wasn't that hard to get in? Uh, I, I, well, so I didn't go in at. So I, I went in because I knew somebody with the show. Okay, you weren't going in with the, the strategy of no, getting no, no, no. It on. So there were two options. Yeah, I could either go and wait, like you know, wait uh, mm-hmm. like a civilian. Um, but I didn't want to. Uh, so yeah, no, I just walked in across the street and. and so how old were you that row. that time with Bob Barker? Bob Barker, that would have been in uh, in my twenties, I think. Okay. So I think it was. I might be. The timing might be wrong. Um, it might have been. I think it was maybe after he had announced his retirement, but oh. you know, so within that year or two, and he was still he was still hosting. But I mean, it was it was only the only thing I can compare it to is an actual experience I had was this is going to be a really weird analogy. Um, I went and did a, a factory tour of the Celestial Seasonings Tea Factory in Boulder, Colorado, and there's a room where they have to keep, they have to keep all the mint separately because it's so strong mm-hmm. that if it goes next to any other of their product, Every- everything will smell and taste like mint. Sure. So they keep it in this separate room with a garage, like a, a huge garage door. So when the garage door opens, like boom, it's just instant like that. Like all your sinuses clear up. Like you know you can you can talk to your great grandparents who've been dead for years. It's wow. Like all, all, all That's some this. powerful mint. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. So it was like, it was like that kind of a thing. Just uh, amazing, amazing energy. Now, which, when you watch the show as a kid, mm-hmm. were you watching alone or were you watching with... Oh, I did relatives? most things alone as a kid, yes. Okay. <laughs> no, no. My... Um, I think maybe my sister had a little bit of interest in it, but it also, you know, again, to age myself, you know, this was a time where, like, it was either that or a soap opera. I mean, there wasn't right. else, much else on. But, yeah, no, I was mostly watching Alone. No, I asked because I watched either Alone or with my grandmother. Oh, okay. No, I had a grandmother who liked it as well, but wasn't, yeah, no, wasn't, like, a huge fan okay. like I was. And it's funny because I also don't remember talking about it with other kids. Like, anything else I saw on TV you would talk about with kids at school, you know, the next day about right. like Saturday Night Live or something, you know, different strokes or something like but that. But like, no discussion know. of Plinko. Yeah, it was very, <laughs> it's weird. I think it was kind of a personal experience for me because I just didn't think anyone else was into it. And it was just, and, you know, it was just, and then, and then when the credits would roll in, it's, then they, they would say it was recorded before a live audience at Television City. Mm. Whoa, there's a place called Television City? Like yeah. a whole city where everything's based on television? <laughs> I want to go to there. <laughs> um, and now I do live like right across the street. So, uh, in, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Did you identify with Mike TV the most out of the? I don't remember which the kids one that in the, was. That was the kid who was obsessed with oh, TV. Okay, I don't remember. I'm sorry. Oh. No, no, probably with Charlie because my my family also slept in the same bed. Oh no, no, I'm just kidding. Oh. Well, hopefully your parents mm. at least. Usually, but not my grandparents. I don't. I don't want to pry. But. Yeah. Pry away. What do you got? So. At what point do you decide you would rather be a game show host than a game show contestant? Um, 
Did you go through a phase? It wasn't or? a game show. It wasn't game show host specifically. It was. It, it was actually. Uh, it was sort of mathematical how I got into hosting. I'd been doing improv for a long time and sketch for a long time and in Chicago a little while. No, actually, all in L.A. Okay. Um, and I kind of got to the point where I was feeling like, don't get me wrong, I was great. No, I just didn't feel that like I was. Yes, and tell me more. Yes, yes, yes. Tell but me enough, how great. Yes, but enough about me. Uh, here's more about me. Um, wait, so let's get wait, so let's get into this. Yeah. So you grew up in Chicago, but you Chicago. don't do any comedy there, right? So we left when I was uh, fourteen or fifteen. When I went to I went to high school in LA, so I never okay. did. So I did like I did comedy. I didn't, I didn't even know it was called improv. It was you know at camp we did like comedy games and stuff like that. And sure, I, I, I like that a lot. Like the short form stuff you'd see on whose yeah. line is it anyway? Yes, that yeah that that and even even more obtuse, you know, sort of like Spoling Games kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and then moved to L.A. and then did improv uh, in high school and then in the summers and then between uh, my, my most of my sort of hardcore, as it were, improv training was from, was between summer, was summers between college. I would come back to L.A. and there was uh, my, my basic level one teacher at the Groundlings was a woman named Cynthia Segetti, who became kind of my improv guru. Um, and so she did private classes at the Cornet Theater in Los Angeles, and I would, every time I was on a break, whether for two weeks or the summer, I would come and do classes with her. Um, and she kind of taught me almost everything I know about... Uh, were they one-on-one classes? Or no, were no, it was, a, it was okay. a small... It was people who were previous students of hers or people who were, who were recommended. And a lot of great folks came out of that, like a lot of people that, uh, you, that you see on TV all the time and a lot of other groundlings. And she also had taught, like, Lisa Kudrow and Conan O'Brien. And, were, the, were you the youngest one in these classes? Oh, yeah, by far. Yeah, and they loved it. They loved that I was the baby. <laughs> of the class because I also looked very young for my age then. Um, no mustache. No mustache and um, I don't even know if I could have grown one and um, like I actually I think had lied about my age because I think you had to be 18 to take a groundlings class and I was only 16 or 17 oh, wow. and you know she she saw me right away. She picked mm-hmm. it right away but let me stay. So yeah, I was, sort of nice the, I was definitely the kid of the class and they they uh, for a while at least seemed to enjoy how precocious I was and that, that wore off quickly. Where did does. you go to college? I went to Sarah Lawrence College just a okay. uh, half hour from where we're sitting there. So if every summer you're coming back to L.A. from Sarah Lawrence mm-hmm. and you're d- taking improv classes, mm-hmm. what is life like for you at Sarah Lawrence? Are you are you taking classes with a different goal in mind, or are you just uh, taking classes? I, I thinking, don't know if I had a well, goal. Well, I'm going to get this degree, but really, I'm going to be an improviser. Um, I didn't. I didn't think improviser was necessarily a career that one could do. I mean, it's actually kind of a relatively recent phenomenon. Right. The idea that so this can, was the '90s. Yes, yeah, so this is in the '90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I definitely was interested in theater. I was studying, you know, with, uh, I was studying acting and okay. directing and other theater stuff, playwriting. Um, but you know, Sarah Lawrence is a liberal arts thing, so even if I did have a goal, the degree wouldn't necessarily have helped that much. But, um, but, uh, but also when I, when I would also go into town and take, uh, go into the city and take classes, there was a, I don't, I don't know if it's still here, here called Gotham City Improv, which was sort of the sister school of, of the Groundlings. And I would do classes. It's also where there. a lot of the, the first UCB students. Okay. Yeah. Previously were doing Gotham City. Yeah. So I would do that. And then, um, yeah, I was just, a, I was just an improv fan. And mm-hmm. then, um, Sometimes in the summer when I would come back to L.A., I would intern for an, a long-running improv group there called... Um, actually, I think it was called Funny You Should Ask, which is weird because that's the name of the TV show I work on now. But um, it was uh, Phyllis Katz, Hen and Chambers. I don't know if these names mean anything to, to comedy people these days. Uh, the Phyllis Katz is a long time. They should. Theater. It should. You kids today, you don't know. So I'm glad you brought them up. Yes, John Bates, uh, Hen and Chambers. Uh, anyway, a bunch of people who would come from... Uh, 
uh, sort of offshoots of, of Groundlings and um, Andy Goldberg, who was an improv teacher in LA's classes. Um, and so I would run their lights and set up their costumes, and you know, because I, I was going to the shows anyway. So it's like, mm-hmm. well, instead of paying eight or twelve dollars, I could you know see every show for free. Where did you think that was going to lead? I'm, I guess, to doing you know, to per, I guess to performing more. But I, I recognized, I think, uh, in large part to to studying with Cynthia Segetti, you know, one of her things was always like see as much improv as you can, and you know, see these people who are doing it well, and take note of what you like and don't like, and see the same show multiple times, so you can you know sort of pick up tips and tricks. And mm-hmm. so, um, I guess I was, I mean, part of I, I it wasn't strategic as much as like. Um, you know, I wasn't exactly a hit with the ladies so on Saturday nights. But, you know, I'll go watch the improv show. But then again, and I don't want to pay for it. But then again, it brought together my two great loves: loneliness and being a cheapskate. But then again, doing improv and perhaps joining the Groundlings can lead to Saturday Night Live. Sure. No, I definitely. I guess I had that dream, but I didn't have. I wasn't focused enough necessarily, or you know. I mean, uh, or ter- I don't know. I guess I wasn't that motivated. I guess I was sort of in, in the back of my mind. You know, it was always sort of the next, what, like, what, what, what's the next thing I can try to do? Oh, this looks fun, so I'll do that. I mean, so, yeah, if I had to do it again, I would rather have been more, more focused or strategic about it. But, you know. So then how did hosting come into the picture? Oh, so. Uh, so, so now we're back. Uh, yes, okay, so now we're back. So then, Okay, so I'd done improv for a while. And then after I came back from, from college to L.A., I joined the Acme Comedy Theater. So I was doing a lot of sketch stuff. And then I'd also done um, a, a Judy Carter stand-up class. Ooh, uh, the Judy Carter. The Judy Carter, uh, goddess of mystery, duchess of spells. <laughs> and um, uh, there was a lot, not to like about it, but there was a lot that was helpful for me. Um, which is it got me up for the first time and it got yeah. me like some very basics about how to write material. So then I was doing improv for a couple of years. So after I've been doing it, I was sorry, doing stand up for a couple of years. So, I, so the moment for me came where I, where I'd been doing improv for a long time. I did a sketch for a while. I'd been doing it, doing uh, stand up for a while and I didn't feel like I was, I mean, again, like I just go back. I was wonderful. But um, I didn't feel like I was bringing anything special to the picnic, and I didn't sure. feel that like I was getting tremendous satisfaction out of them. So I was trying to think, like, gee, what could I do? And so I literally uh, I opened a notebook and made a list, and then column one was, what are the things that I like to do? Mm-hmm. Number two, what are the things I feel like I'm pretty good at? And one of the things that was on both columns was when you go out to a show with your friends, and then afterwards you go to a diner, and you're kind of shooting the shit. And, you know, I, loved, I liked that that interplay and I was like oh that's interesting how could I turn that into uh, uh, entertainment form right. and so then I thought about the and podcasting show. wasn't a thing yet yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> no believe me I was born 20 years too early um I thought it's uh, a talk show. Yeah, I thought talk show cool because and because a talk show it still involves elements of stand up and improv and sketch. Sure, but. Um, Especially uh, if there's a monologue. Yeah, exactly. You do, you do a comedy monologue, you do your desk pieces, and mm-hmm. then you do the and, and then you have interviews. And then you do the interview, you know, the shooting the shit with people. Yeah. So I thought, oh, I wonder if I could do a talk show, and no one was hiring me for a talk show. But mm-hmm. it, I'd never thought about being a talk show host before, or really doing hosting before. Um, it wasn't until you had this vision board slash kind of yeah yeah no I I went full artist way I like uh, <laughs> I, did, I had done the artist way and there was a thing in there about oh you actually did the I artist did way. the artist okay. way and there was a thing in there about like creative U turns because I so I, I made that list and kind of made some notes about oh how mm-hmm. would I do a talk show and then kind of set it aside and then as one of the exercises in the artist way um, uh, was the thing about like looking at a project that you've left behind and what would it take to you know readdress it and what were your fears about it and you know all that stuff okay so and when you readdressed it when I readdressed it I realized I think I, I, I kind of want to try this like I'm really scared of it but like I really you know I, I think there's something here I so what did you do idea. 
I, I uh, rented a theater and picked a date and worked backwards from there. And what was a, the theater? It's amazing how clarifying that is. <laughs> I've done that several times in my life, and it always creatively pays it off. Um, it was actually the Tamarin Theater, which is where the UCB is now in oh. L.A. Yeah. Okay. So this is years before. This was 97. Okay. And it was just a so red So you already pole. knew it was a good spot. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I blessed it with my, my comedy juices. Um, okay. So you found the spot. So I found the spot, and I picked a date. Mm-hmm. And How just, far out was the date? Probably not far enough. Um, I would guess six to eight weeks. Okay. Um, so you're like, I have this theater. Yeah. I have six to eight weeks to put on a show. Right. And I booked, I think, five dates. Um, and I just had this big yellow notebook and I just started making lists of things. Like, who are the people that I know who could help? Who are the people I could get who would be celebrities? And then also trying to sort of, you know, who are the people who would be my sidekick? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do for house music? You know, I just started to think all this stuff through. Where can I go try out material so I can have a monologue? And, you know, who can I, how can I get audience? Who am I going to get graphics? I mean, you know, all the things that were, how, all the things that were worrying me so much that made me not want to do the project, I just put it out on how, paper. How much of that it. did you have settled by the first show? Much of it. Much of it. Um, but there definitely was a moment where I was driving to the theater for the first show where I was like, what am I doing? Like, not to the point where I was going to turn around or anything, but mm. it was, I was very aware, like, this is really weird. <laughs> this is really weird that I'm going to the theater and I'm about to be on stage and I don't know exactly what I'm doing. But the thing <laughs> I'm the, putting on a show. Yeah, That's yeah. But doing. the mantra that kept helping me through it was saying, I'm doing this just to do it. So I really tried to let go of the results. I tried to, mm. like, my, my whole reason for doing at least this five-week experiment was I wanted... I want to do it and see how it goes. And so I'm doing it to do it. And so, you know, if people don't show up or something goes wrong or, you know, and plenty of people didn't show up and plenty of things went wrong, who, but it was also who, pretty great. Who did, who was on that first show? First show, well, thank, thank goodness I was friends with Danielle Koenig. Okay. Uh, and uh, her dad is Walter Koenig from Star Trek. And so he agreed to do it if she was on the show. And so done and done. <laughs> so he was my first guest. Mm-hmm. She was my first comedic, you know, comedy guest. Okay. And then, um... Uh, and then a, f- a guy who's a good friend of mine now named Dan McKenzie was a musical guest, and I'd known him through an, uh, one of the resources I used. There's a little tip for out there if you're trying to put on a show or do a project, let your friends help you. Because it's like, I didn't know musicians, but I, but I knew one musician, and mm-hmm. she knew other musicians. And so, you know, I used her sort of as my musical booker. Okay. She would send me a CD, and I was like, great, if he'll do it, he'll do it. And then Dan was great. So we did that first show. My sidekick was Stefan Zamorano. Um, and uh, we just we just tried it, and it was you know it was rough around the edges, but it generally it generally worked, and it worked enough that you know and even if it didn't work great, I had to do it again next week. <laughs> well, what did, what was the title for it? Uh, it was the Jakey Van Stratton show starring oh. Jakey Van Stratton. <laughs> you know, if you're gonna do it, go right. on in. Did it did it? How much momentum did you build by the by the fifth show? Um, pretty good. I mean, enough that I, I don't think we got reviewed in that first run but enough that i realized i wanted to i wanted to keep doing it although that it wasn't a one-time five yeah five show experience you know it was hard and it was a lot of work and there were definitely a lot of humbling moments and there were parts of it that weren't you know i I had produced some stuff but there was you know you you learn a lot so it wasn't actually i think that run ended in december of 97 and i don't think we started again until maybe june of 98 so so you know, what if happened? I to do, if I had to do it again, I would have kind of kept the momentum going. But I was, you know, I was kind of exhausted. I was just going to ask what happened in that year 
Yeah, um, also, yes, in the six months, yeah. um, I, I, I gave it. I really, honestly, I gave it a lot of thought. And what are the things I wanted to upgrade? And I watched the we we had like crass videos of some of the shows. I mean, just crassly made videos of some of the shows, and so I watched them. And you know. Just took notes of you know it's funny all of the, all of the things that kind of made me uncomfortable made me cringe or made me nervous um, I just wrote down and if if it was something that I could address or fix I addressed and fixed and if it was something I couldn't I tried to you know tried to let it go and then the ninety eight production the ninety eight production like just one on like gangbusters it was great there was at the same know, theater same theater yeah at the Tamarin. Um, and then we got, by then I was like, all right, I'm going to try to get this reviewed. And, you know, I recognize that like, we need audience and we need publicity. And, you know, especially if I'm going to try to use this as a thing for, you know, So, so for did my you career. hire publicity? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. You I had, I had well, one of the other great things about doing a project on your own in your 20s is, again, that your friends will help. So, like, you know, my friend who was a communications consultant for the mayor, like, became our publicist. Okay. And, like, another friend of mine who was studying to be in law school was, like, our stage manager. And, you know, like, sort of, it became a joke. The rule was if you come to the show often enough, you, you get to work on it. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, literally, so people who I'm... Well, that's word of mouth. Yeah, so literally people who I'm friends with now, you know, it's like, oh, you've come to the show five times? Great. You can now be our social media, you know, whatever social media, you know, go post on and use, you know, use net group. Or whatever. In a Yahoo chat room. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then meanwhile, I was just always hustling to get guests. You know, I hate talking to strangers, but mother necessity. So, you know, if I was in line at a coffee place and Malcolm Jamal Warner was in front of me, I was going to do my 30-second pitch to Malcolm Jamal Warner, and it worked. He came and did the show. So, you know, fortunately, you know, living in L.A. versus, you know, many other places, right. you're going to run into people. But I would go out, you know, if I saw there was a book, uh, a book signing or a, a did you have play. the same thirty second pitch for pretty much yeah who you ran into pretty much yeah I uh, I would say you know I say I don't want to put you on the spot I'm under no pressure but I do the show we'd love to have you as a guest here's some of our previous guests we do it every blah 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 mm-hmm. you know uh, what's the best way to contact you if uh, you know. And then, oftentimes, only one person was rude. Everybody else is either like, you know, at least we'll give you like, oh, okay, great, great, thanks right. so much, you know, or or or, or actually <laughs> maybe, engage you would be interested. Maybe give you like a, a manager's number and then yeah. tell the manager. Oh, no, you, all the time. <laughs> when they call, don't say. Yeah, no, well, say I'm busy. But the lesson there is like the more you can get, the the. the more often you can get to the person directly, the better. And like that's why I didn't leave it to just uh, contacting publicists and agents and stuff. My favorite example of this was I went to a concert in Jimmy Kimmel uh, like way before the talk show, but he was still mm-hmm. very well known in L.A. And I think he had the man show then. Right, um, he had the man I, show. Yeah, so I ran into. Uh, I saw Jimmy Kimmel was uh, at some concert I was at, and so I gave him the pitch and got his info. And then I think he did the show pretty soon after, like I think like the next week or so. Meantime, I had. Emailed his agent or producer or something, or mm-hmm. uh, asking about the show. I got an email back saying, "Sorry, he won't be able to do it." And I got to write back, "Oh, that's okay. He just did this last week." <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, the, the, that was right. the lesson there. Yeah, was, managers was, and agents are yeah, they're designed they, to keep people away, keep people like me away from them, which is right. something that I learned very quickly. Uh, how much did all of that experience like play into you getting the first? TV show, Beat the Geeks? Yeah. That was the first one, right? That was the first, yeah. Um, well, actually, no, it got me. Um, I did a pilot before that for Comedy Central, and that definitely played in and gave me, okay. gave me the pilot. Was the pilot but, also a, a game also, show? Uh, a talk show? Sort of. It was, uh, it was a home shopping show, Okay, but it was for Comedy Central. So there's a pilot called Let's Shop America, and it shot in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the concept was, is there actually going to be like a live overnight um, 
uh, home shopping show, but with like weird products and you know right. sketches and stuff like that. For the people who are just flipping through the dial and yeah, we don't really hit it. It was great. Yeah, I still think it could be successful. But anyhow, um, so I did. Kent Alterman, if you're but, listening, exactly. Um, but uh, but but uh, some casting people had come to the show. You know, the thing once you sort of brand yourself as a host, and then again, so once you've gotten great guests and you've gotten some good reviews, you know, eventually a casting director or producers will come. Do you, and so do was, you remember the first piece of press you got? Yeah, I think it was the LA Weekly. Okay. Um, and I was really nervous because I was, uh, it was not our best show, but it went, it was, it was, it, they were very generous. They were kind. Not inaccurate, but generous. It wasn't Nikki Fink? No. It was, um, <laughs> I believe it was Level Estelle the Third. We reviewed a bunch of our shows. I just remember before so Nikki anyway, Fink so became Nikki Fink, she was. Ellie Weekly. Right oh, really? Now. Okay. Yeah. No, and I don't think we crossed paths. Okay. Um, okay. So then you do the pilot, the home shopping. Um, yeah, and then Little Shop America. Yeah, Little Shop America, and unfortunately that didn't go. And then, but then you're on the radar. Yeah, exactly. And so apparently they had they had done a pilot of let of uh, beat the geeks with somebody else, and and weren't happy with it for some for whatever reason. So they're looking for somebody else, and you know now I had a tape. So, so, so someone at Comedy Central, you know, showed the showed the pilot to the producers, and uh, they brought me in and had a great audition, and uh, there you go. So yeah, it was it was a, uh, not maybe the most direct line to the from the from the talk show to that, but certainly a it's certainly a line. So when the when Beat the Geeks ended, what did you think was going to happen? Um, did you think that was my shot at TV, or did you think, okay, I've got my foot in the door t- in TV? Yeah, no. So now I can use this to. Yeah, to no. Do the to be next quite thing. candid, I thought, I thought, you know, okay, well, I finally reached this plateau, and I'll use this. Yeah, this will get me more stuff. And so, yeah, it was really difficult when, for a long time, it didn't. Um, How did you get through that? Um, I just, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Because you're man. here now. Yeah. So you got through it. Spoiler alert. Well, yeah, no, no, no. Eventually you get through it because, well, creativity, but working on a next creative project. I mean, you know, if I had to do it again, I would have started right away on whatever was next, or I would have I would have managed my career a little bit better. I think I was counting on other people, you know, because like, I switched agents, I think, during during Beat the Geeks. Okay. Um, and... Uh, I think I would have kind of managed my career a little, a little. I would have been a little more active. I think I kind of, you know, you work for so long thinking like, oh, oh if I can just get to this one spot, and then you get to that what you, what seems, you know, hey, I'm hosting a show that's on five days a week. Like this is it, and then you know you feel like you can kind of relax and like now I'm at this new plateau and I'll never have to go back. And now it's just from plateau to mountain, right? And you know, <laughs> and it didn't, and it didn't happen. And you know, I think my part in it was that I let myself. You know, it, it really hurt getting, you know, I, I, I was, I mean, I wasn't fired necessarily, but, you know, my contract wasn't renewed. I just did that first season. And so that was really difficult. Um, and so, you know, I, it took me a long time to lick my wounds. And I wish I had, I wish I had been more resilient at the time or I wish I maybe had gotten some better advice. I mean, I, I took full responsibility for it. Um, what, what eventually got you back um, well, that's nice of you to, to assume I'm back. Um, <laughs> uh, you're talking to me, so you're that's back. That's true. Oh, yeah, good. Finally. You're officially back. Good. New plateau. Um, <laughs> it was... Uh, uh, part of it was coming to the real... 
coming. Well, part of it, it helped that the show went off the air afterwards anyway, so I didn't have to like be reminded of it. Right. Um, but part of it was, part of it was like from a personal level, just realizing like I got a lot of friends and, you know, I still got my creativity I can count on mm-hmm. and, uh, I've got a therapist and, you know, antidepressants. I don't know if I was on that at the time, but, um, and then part of it was just going on to whatever, you know, the next thing is. But, but the real turning point for me actually was when I, cause when I, when I would feel kind of embarrassed about it was being like, at some point I looked in the mirror and I was like, what? I, I would rather that I hadn't had this experience. Like, I would rather that they hadn't hired me in the first place. <laughs> that like, I, no. That I'd never been on television. Yeah, exactly. So just shifting to some sort of, you know, shifting to gratitude and shifting to, um, you know, and also sort of, sort of being able to laugh at how, you know, ridiculous this whole thing is. Um, but, uh, you know, it was tough because, you know, it's when you're on a show like that where you're making, you know, five episodes a day, two or three times a week, you know, it's very bonding with people. And especially I didn't have I didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, I, I relied on a lot of sort of my well-being, you know, I put a lot of my well-being in that and and imagine that these relationships that I had with these people were were more than just a temporary work relationship. And so, you know, that was tough. That was, you know, I'm a sensitive person, Sean, as you can tell. So that was, you know, that it definitely hurt. But, um, you know, as far as getting through it, going on to the next thing, you know, from there I did a live onstage version of What's My Line that we that we ran in L.A. and New York, and that was successful, and that, that ended unexpectedly. Um, and then from there, going on to the next thing. So I did a, a live onstage matchmaking show called The Fix-Up Show that we did in New York and L.A., and these all involved sort of similar elements of like a TV type format, but right. in a live theater and with sort of mixing celebrities with non celebrities, and you know that's that's the kind of stuff like I the really original like dating do. game, a little bit. <laughs> um, and that's also what I like about doing with Go Fact Yourself, the podcast I'm doing now, is it's still it's sort of you know it's a panel show, it's an excuse for a talk show. Like mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 quiz part is fun, but it's really just a reason how did, to how talk did, to people. How did you come up with the? I do think it going a little bit. Yeah, but if you want to, I don't know if you want to walk or. Well, how, how did you come up with Go Fact Yourself? Um, my, my producing partner, Jim Newman, who I'd worked with on pretty much every project I've done, um, I, I had the idea that like there's some game, there's some need for a game show podcast that's not being met, and I thought also just it'd be fun to you know get back out there and do another do another project. Um, and so he and I were bouncing ideas off, and I thought, and, and my mind also, I thought like I like me and Max Fun might be a good a good match. So I'd done something, I'd written something for Jesse Thorne uh, earlier last year, and in the process of you know the overlord of Max Fun, yeah. And so uh, in the process of you know talking to him about that, I said, oh by the way, if you're ever looking for a show, you know, to add to your empire, uh, <laughs> let me know. And he mentioned something about a panel game show, and I was like, great, let me see what I can come up with. So I sat down with Jim, and he had had some ideas. He, he wanted to, part, one, one part of our show is the what's the difference round, where we asked what's the difference between two things. He wanted that to be the whole show, and uh. I thought that was not right. <laughs> so, um, but I like the idea of talking to people. Uh, you know, you hear so many podcasts where people talk about their careers, and, talk, and I was like, well, what, it'd be kind of fun to hear people talk about things Wait that they Wait a love. second, yeah, that's exactly. what we're doing. No, no, I know. Now. And they're great. They love them all. <laughs> but, um, but, but you know, it's fun hearing. But, but so it's also fun in those podcasts mm-hmm. is when you stumble upon something that they really like that you, ne- you, ne- you never knew about. And so I thought there was something with that where, like, how can we talk to people about something that they, you know, that they love that they don't get to talk about all the time? Okay. And I liked, you know, there's something in our culture right now about truth and facts, and I kind of wanted to, to make a beachhead in that regard. So then you can so, yeah, so we just quiz kind of, them on the things that they love. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to, uh, yeah, so we just kind of, you know, did never, you, never under, never under, 
Never underestimate the power of a blank notebook and a pen and an hour to yourself in a corner. Um, so I just sort of started sketching out ideas, and this is kind of what we came up with. Did, uh, in those sketches, did, did the words Cliff Clavin come up at all? No, why? Uh, just listening to your show, it feels like, you know, Cliff Clavin was the oh, character on Cheers who just felt like he had the, the facts on yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. No, it's and then he goes on Jeopardy. Right. And <laughs> crashes and burns. No, we almost had a question. We almost did a question about that when we had, I don't think it's run yet. We had uh, Louis Fertel, who had been on Jeopardy, was one of, one of our guests. And we asked okay. him a lot of Jeopardy questions, but I don't think that one came up. But, uh. Uh, but yeah, no, there's, you know, we'll, we'll, in the intro of the show, Helen always says, you know, you, are you... Are you the kind of person who starts every sentence with "Well, actually"? So yeah, it definitely yeah, that's, is appealing. That's a Cliff Cleveland. Yeah, exactly. Move. Yeah, definitely is appealing to those. But um, you know, it's celebrating knowledge. It's celebrating specific knowledge, and and you know, it's fun to know things. It's like we, we kind of trying to take that that attitude. And you do it with a with a with a live audience. Yeah, too, it was so a live that, audience. Yeah, that wasn't necessarily the original intent. I, I I'd wanted to show that we could do in studio and then also take on the road. You know, in success, and um, Jim Newman knows me well enough to know that I do a lot better in front of a live audience and that you know it does it does change it and it does energize things right. and I like I like creating conversation for that, an that audience gets, to that witness that gets me back to the uncomfortability where yeah. it's like you put yourself in a stressful situation and then yeah you kind of rise to the occasion or <laughs> yeah fail. well one of the things I discovered from doing that talk show is that there's you know there's a conversation finding that balance between a conversation that you're having one-on-one with something but knowing someone you know an audience is hearing that mm. and so wanting to you know I definitely do feed off of that and I, I think I have a, I have a knack for it sometimes and so you know uh, we, to take that away uh, to just do it in studio didn't seem how, how much know. thought is there in the fact that now that you are doing the show with a live audience that this will help you sell it potentially as, yeah. a, as a radio Oh, definitely. I think it's it helps. It's an NPR I mean, kind of show or, or as a, a TV show. Yeah, the audience adds a lot. And I think, um, uh, yeah. Or is that not part uh, of no, no, the... No, no, that's definitely, you know, that's definitely the, okay. the, the, the hope. Um, I mean, you know, hopefully it's hopefully it's worthy on its own just as, mm-hmm. a, as its own podcast. Um, and as a live show, people like coming to it. Um, well, th- uh, Throwing Shade was a Max Fun podcast mm-hmm. that became a TV show. Right, so, right. So it's and not so unheard they, um, of. And then uh, there's no other one they had to... Uh, me, my brother, and nah, anyway, I don't remember. But uh, sure, no, that we love, we love for that to happen, and I think it's a very NPR-friendly show. I think you know we haven't fully, we don't have like a TV pitch version of it yet because I think there's, um, you know, again, part of the podcast, the luxury of being able to uh, spend time, you know, with certain things. But you know, but but the the part that would be great on TV and that a part that I, I I wish we could capture on the podcast and the reason that I it really encourage people when they can to come see it in person is every third or fourth episode and we're trying to make it more frequent the expert will come on and the reaction from the guest and seeing who the expert is or realizing who it is is some, is so magical and it's like their souls like went up to the heavens and danced together I mean it's like we, this just happened on this the there's an episode that we just taped at the Max Fun Con um, where Allison Becker uh, from Parks and Rec mm-hmm. and Bubble and whatnot um, had chosen divorce ranches as her topic. Some, exactly, your reaction is exactly what mine was. I didn't know what it was until mm-hmm. she said, basically, in the uh, from like the 30s to the 70s, uh, women would go to Nevada and establish a residency so they could get a quickie divorce. Oh, and then okay. there, so these ranches formed where women could go and, you know, 
um, and she, for some reason, was really into it. And so we found this uh, history teacher at Stanford who, who wrote her thesis on divorce ranches who drove down to the Lake Arrowhead to the Max Funcon. And when she came on stage, like the reaction, it's like they had, it's like they had met their best friends that they never knew about since third grade. Like it was, it was magical. And similar with like uh, our episode that just wrapped recently with Jackie Cation. Mm-hmm. She had chosen Marvel Comics as hers, and we got Mark Wade, who's a big uh, comic writer, on. And when she realized, holy crap, it's Mark Wade, I mean, her reaction was just <laughs> amazing. And similar with, like, Andrea Savage, when she, she chose Little House on the Prairie as her topic, and we had Alison Arngrim, who played Nellie Olson. Oh. So, like, those moments, like, it's... Right, not like, the ghost the, of Michael Landon? No. <laughs> we tried just his hair. <laughs> um, but, but like, I... I, I well, listen, my only regret is, like, oh, my God, I wish people could see this moment right. as it's happening, because it's, it's pretty special. I mean, that's got to be something in itself, just to find the person. Yeah, that's a that's a big producing job, is because we don't know who the experts are until they tell us right. the topic. We don't know what the topics are until they tell us. And then, so we have like a stable of experts who we know that we're hoping someone says, you know, we like I, we knew when we when Jim and I when we first started sketching out what the show was like who some of the people were. We're like, man, as soon as somebody says Little House on the Prairie, because we were pals with Allison Arngrim okay. for, for years, we're like, we got Allison in the thing. And then so, so as soon as Andrew said it, was like, oh, this is going to be an easy week. <laughs> um, and same with it's funny because we because. Uh, uh, one of the first names I wrote down as like a possible expert was a, a fellow named Jim Colucci who wrote a book about the Golden Girls and this is a pal of ours and I was like oh well one day someone's going to choose Golden Girls and God bless Cristela Alonso on like our fourth episode we didn't think it would we thought it would take months and like she said it on our fourth episode so nice. like, like that kind of stuff you get lucky on and then other times it's just you know they give us the topics and yeah it reminds to me work. of that old show um, This Is Your Life a little bit yeah there's that fun surprise element where they bring out it. the people and they're like oh yeah. you found my grade school teacher exactly so that kind of stuff is you, you, you said in the beginning that you also work on the show Funny You Should Ask. Yeah, uh, we're actually on hiatus now, but I was, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not a writer. I'm a content producer on Ooh. Funny You Should Ask. It's a writer. Um, but that, but that you know, helps subsidize the whole thing, Oh, right? believe me. Oh, no, it's fantastic. Um, and actually, it's funny. Our, one, our, one of our recent shows, Jody Miller, a comedian, yeah, is, yeah. is actually the head content producer, my boss. Okay. Uh, and she came on the show, so we had, we had some fun talking about it as nice. well. Uh, yeah, no, that's a great gig, and, and there's a lot of great comics on there as well. How important is it to have... Have a second, a side hustle that's that's. In, I didn't realize how great business. it was. Well, the business part isn't hasn't paid off as much because I try not to shit where I eat. So like I haven't like I haven't gone up. To, you know, the, the show has great. But, I mean, as, great comics. as opposed to having a side hustle that's that has nothing to do with show business. Um, it's great in terms of like I actually like going to work and I'm mm-hmm. guaranteed to laugh every day because there's always a pitch meeting and people make jokes and like you know that that part of it I love. Right. Um, and then it's also great. I just sneezed. <laughs> okay, yeah. We can, we can get up That's fine. We're almost done. Um, it's great in terms of, um, uh, I think more so in just that, like, it, it, it's a job that I like. And so because it's a job that I like, I don't mind putting in those hours. And then, you know, it, it frees up sort of psychic space for me to work on the podcast. Um, so in that way, it's great, you know. Um, but it, it, as far as, like, actual showbiz connections, it has not yet paid off. But hopefully hopefully it will. But, you know, it's funny because, like, I, I, so I have this day job where I'm dealing, where, where I'm writing trivia all day. Then I've got my <laughs> podcast where I write trivia all day. Then my side hustle is I write for Ask Me Another on NPR where I write trivia oh. for them. And then I just picked up a freelance thing writing for a trivia app called Arena. So I'm writing trivia for that. And then on Wednesday nights, I go out and play pub trivia with my friends. <laughs> so you've got to be great at that. Uh, okay. 
you, you, you took the same information. Or the There's expectation is going to be yeah, that. I know, I know. I, I should tell that. This is what you do for a living. Once, once in a while, something does come up, like in Pub Trevor, we're like, oh, no, I know this because I just wrote about it. <laughs> you know, coincidence. But, you know, there's a lot of information out there, so, so it's not always going to so happen. So how do you keep the, your daily intake of trivia, then? Um, well, when you're writing it, especially when you're when you're writing it every day for mm-hmm. eight hours, um, you kind of see, you, you, you know, you kind of get in touch with what's in the zeitgeist. So, you mm-hmm. know, if there's a crazy, crazy crime story or, you know, but a lot of it is just, it's just coincidence. You know, if you, if you dig through enough, you know, eventually you write a whole quiz about, you know, walnuts mm-hmm. and then a walnut question comes up, you're going to know it. You know, there's only so many interesting things about walnuts. So, no, I'm, sorry, I'm, walnut lovers. I know no, I mean, in terms of, of like seeking out trivia, oh, how do you keep like, How do you keep finding things? Yeah. Just natural curiosity. I mean, there's a few, like if I'm coming on sluggish, there's a few sources I can go to for, you know, weird news is always good for mm-hmm. a true or false question. Um, uh, I, th- there's different websites that sort of keep lists of weird words. And so, you know, of, yeah, just, you know, weird words in English and what does this mean and okay. you know that kind of thing. Animal names are always interesting, animal facts. So there's, there's sort of go-tos like that. But mostly it's just natural curiosity. And then um, when I'm working on the show in my phone, if I, you know, if I, I, I keep a note, notes. And so if I hear... If I hear uh, something that I think might be a good, you know, piece, I'll put it in there. Especially for for go fact yourself for the for the what's the difference rounds and for the true or false rounds. If I hear an interesting tidbit, I'll put that in there because uh, we're running out of what's the differences. So if you're listening and have a good what's the difference, send it in. <laughs> <laughs> you heard him. Well, Jay Keith, thank you so much for all uh, oh, being, being a font of facts and oh, my pleasure. Fun I really I really enjoy your site. I was glad to finally meet you as well. Uh, and like, I just do I do I do the plug? Can I tell people to listen to Go yeah, Fact Yourself? Yeah, sure. Maximum Fun Network or wherever you get podcasts. Go Factor Pod. .com is our site. At GoFactorPod is us on social. If you're in L.A., come see our live show, and I will give you a scoop, John. We're trying to do a show in New York, so check out our site, and hopefully you can come see our show in New York this summer. Sweet. Thanks. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.